Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Escaping the realm of darkness, the paranormal guys are on a quest to find the answers to the hard questions of where the normal meets the paranormal and the weird, and where the natural meets the unnatural. So grab your holy water, call your mama, and get ready for the Paranormal Guys Podcast. Hello everyone. Today's date is September 3rd, 2023. And this broadcast is going to be going out on September 7th. Once again, we pre-recorded We pre-recorded with a Mr. Donald Schmidt. Don Schmidt is a world-renowned researcher on Roswell, New Mexico, 1947. We, ta- we talked to him, and this is such a great interview. And mm-hmm. Don Schmidt, right off the bat, if you've never met the man or gone to anything where he does a speaking engagement, well, guess what, boys and girls? You should. He is a very good speaker. Uh, he will keep you in your seat throughout the whole time that you he is speaking to you and his audience. And he's just a really nice guy. I mean, really cool dude. And his wife, very nice lady. Very nice lady. I met her. We, Me and Steve met uh, Don Schmidt at uh, Sam Maranto's, um thing at Starve Rock. Uh, the a few years time. ago. Yeah, few, two years ago. And I recently, I went to the last one that was this year, Steve. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and listened to him again, and I, I was able to get him to come on to this podcast here, and it's such a delight that we were able to talk with him. You're going to see in it we are going to touch upon Roswell. We are going to talk about other things that are going on in uh, the MUFON community, uh, mm-hmm. aliens and UFOs, UAPs, flying men in black, flying saucers, whatever you want to call them. We even get into men in black. Oh yeah, we even get into men in black. So cool. after the news here, I hope you enjoy this very good interview with a very well-renowned man by the name of Don Schmidt. Uh, he also uh, wrote a book called Roswell, many books, actually. Uh, I believe he was one of the producers of the movie called Roswell that came out uh, many years ago. So it, it's, it's, it, when, I, when I'm able to interview someone like this, Steve, I, I just get very, very excited because you know you have someone who's really, really good and is able to uh, explain things very well, you know? Right, right. And uh, he's one of the best. So uh, we got a great interview. So prepare for that, everybody. Uh, If you like UFOs, if you like uh, that sort of uh, paranormal conversation, if you like the old Art Bell uh, episodes with UFOs and aliens, you're going to really like to hear uh, Don Schmidt have a conversation with Neil and I. Yeah, it's so stand by awesome. for that. But until then, we're going to make a couple of announcements. We're going to get into the news like we always do. But as usual, Steve, what's going on in your life? What's new? What's different? What's kicking? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I just heard that Bob Barker died today. Yeah. Um, now, that man lived a very long life. Um, and I think he, he, he touched a lot of lives, you know. Yeah. 
Um, it's it's a good run. Ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely lived a very long life. Another death uh, that happened, actually two deaths. I, I know you're not into uh, wrestling or anything like that, but me and my son are. Uh, mm-hmm. Terry Funk died. Uh, he was man. He was a pioneer in the wrestling organization. Just a pioneer. I mean, he was just awesome, man. Uh, the other one, uh, Bray Wyatt died. He was only 36 years of age. He died of a heart attack. Oh, and there's a lot of he, that going on. Otherwise known as The Fiend. And uh, his character, I mean, this guy, he could come up with such good characterization in his characters. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's a shame to see anybody die, of course. But this young right. man, Bray Wyatt, he was really, really good at what he did. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shame and he will be a terrible loss, uh, for that. Yeah. But, uh, moving on and sorry to use yeah. the word moving take on. Take care, take care of your, uh, ticker, everybody. Yeah. You um, never, ever know, man. You never, never know. know. Take, right. go to the doctor, check on yourself, you know, uh, do what you need to do. Take care of yourself. Um, eat some so, vegetables. What's that? Eat some vegetables. Well, yeah, definitely eat vegetables yeah. and you eat your fruit, eat your fruit and vegetables, right. kids. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, we have some things that are coming up. Uh, our tickets have gone on sale for this October. We are doing more this year for tours. Uh, we have our uh, our annual nightlife tour that we always do. That'll be on Fridays and Saturday nights, starting off Friday the thirteenth. Steve, Friday nice. 13th kicks off our nightlife right. tours this year out of one fifteen Bourbon Street, located in Marionette Park, Illinois. You can go to our Facebook page, and you can uh, go there and click on for uh, any kind of tickets through our Eventbrite page. The other thing is that we have some special ones this year. We have two Thursday tours. Uh, one, of yeah. the first ones, yeah, one of the first ones is going to be October 19th, and that's going to be with Mr. Tony Sabalski, legendary Tony Sabalski. Everybody just loves this guy. Good guy. To, just a good guy. You know, what you see is what you get with Tony. Just a good person. Uh, he is going to be doing uh, the Archer Avenue tour, the Supernatural Archer Avenue tour. Uh, this one there is just about a three-and-a-half-hour tour, where our nightlife tour is about a four-and-a-half-hour tour. There is a difference in those tours. So, And he's going to be uh, the host on that one. And then on October 26th, we are going to be having Mr. Bob Anderson from Bob After Dark. He is going to be your host for that one. He is going to be out there uh, putting his uh, show on the road with each and every one of you with all of mm-hmm. a sudden the supernatural Archer Avenue. And as usual, our girl, the little horror girl. Yes. I have to learn to pronounce Horror girl horror. is going to be out there as also helping along with those two Thursday tours. I'm excited about those. Very excited about yeah. that. Then we also have a Mr. Peter, Pete Christ who is going to be doing the overnight Roth house that we've done. This is our third annual one where we're going to be doing that. Uh, It's going to be selling up to 12 tickets. Uh, He is a very well-to-do person who has been doing this a long time. He's been a well-to-do investigator for many years. He knows what he's doing. So you're going to have someone who's going to be able to be out there and help you along as you go along. And you get to use all of our equipment Everything mm-hmm. that Graveside Paranormal owns, which we own a lot of stuff. Uh, believe me, my pocketbook is killing me. <laughs> so we have all that, and you're going to be able to utilize it. Any vo- uh, EVPs that you get, we are going to send to your email. So, so we make tell people what what that is, though. So like, um, basically, the Roth House, 
for those who uh, haven't been following or maybe are just picking up on our show for the first time, the Roth House is the first it's the place of the first documented possession in the United States. Yes. And this evening that we're talking about, um, Chris, um, Pete Chris is going to be able to, he's a very seasoned uh, investigator. He's going to take you through this house and you're going to investigate it. If you haven't been on a paranormal investigation, but you're interested in the paranormal, um, it, it's good to go for the first time with somebody who's very experienced, who can walk you through the process. Uh, and to have equipment that you don't have to buy yourself, and you can see what works for you and maybe what doesn't. It's a great opportunity for uh, a new person into the paranormal, but also anybody who's uh, got the Roth House on their bucket list, because the Roth House is a very uh, important place to go. If you're into the paranormal, you get disembodied voices throughout the house. Um, Neil and I have heard them, uh, even I, with the bad hearing, have heard it. Mm-hmm. A little girl behind us going, I think something to the effect of, hi. hi. It was really creepy. Dude, that was creepy. Everybody in the group, when we had them down in the basement, Steve, everybody was like, what the heck was that, man? It's, it, it's, it's a very spiritually active home. Mm-hmm. You do get a lot of evidence from this, and that's what we want to send to you. So right. even though you may not hear something with your ears or anything like that, like I tell everybody, and I'm very repetitive about this, but I'm going to tell you. When you investigate something, it's about the evidence that you gather. And you, ladies and gentlemen, when you come out there, you will gather your evidence. You will take it back to your house via your email, and you will be able to discover if you captured anything. And then you put that away somewhere, and you know you keep that as a little memento for yourself that, hey, I was at the Roth house, uh, and I, I was able to catch this EVP. And the cool thing about it is for you guys and girls out there who are just getting into learning how to investigate, the Roth House is the best place, one of the best places to start it off. We're not going to throw you in a place where we guarantee you that you're going to get possessed or anything like that. No. The story or scratched line, yeah, or anything. The storyline is attached to uh, the tickets, so it explains it about a little girl by the name of Mary Roth and Lorancey Venom. It's a very interesting story, so make sure you read up to it, and it will also be presented to you at the Roth House. Uh, also, we are going to be doing for the first time ever, uh, we are going to be doing a tour called Otherworldly Orland Park. Mm. Me and Steve are going to be out there on the 26th. Uh, we're going to be out there. We're going to be doing it for Orland Park at the John Humphrey House. Supposedly, this house is supposed to be haunted, and we're going to take you to other haunted destinations, partially of the Orland Park area, and have to deal with Orland Park. So we're How be haunted out. is Orland Park? I did, So... I don't know, and I'm going to be honest with people, is that we are going to be going out there and we have to gather evidence to see what really is going on. But there's some very interesting stories. One of the antique stores is supposed to be haunted that we're going to be talking about. And what I'm going to be talking about there, I'm going to be talking about how all of a sudden objects become haunted. So that's Mm. going to be part of our thing that's going to be on that tour. And, of course, we're going to have the no-name doll out there as an example to explain to you about haunted objects. so we What is the no-name doll for those who are just tuning in? All right, so the no-name doll is a doll that I purchased as just like a gag, as, you know, just to put on the bus so people go, oh, my God, it's a little doll. But unbeknownst to us, there's a possibility, possibility that there be, might be an attachment in this. And I think that doll is haunted. That's my personal opinion. That thing's haunted. Yeah. So, but if you want to come out and you want to hear about the story about the no name doll, 
It's uh, in a little bag. We have to keep it inside of a bag uh, because don't open the bag. Don't open the bag. You know, yeah. <laughs> eyewitnesses have said that they've seen it move. Uh, is it happening? I really don't know. But here's what's the interesting thing: we get an effect that does happen with the doll, which me and my wife have both witnessed. People start gravitating towards this doll, and they want to hold this doll, and they don't want to let it go. So it wasn't really going on with this haunted doll. One of the steps of possession is obsession. Obsession? Yes, it is. Very good. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So come on out for that. And also we're going to be doing um, oh the open house on the 29th. Yes, that's not 29th of October at the Roth House. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it where it's an open house all day long. It's only $10, ladies and gentlemen. You're Mm -hmm. going to get 15 to 20 minutes on each floor with a group Mm -hmm. of six where you're going to be able to get uh, recorders to try to capture EVPs. And once again, we're going to send it to your email. This is not an overnight one, which is the 28th, where it's from 8 p.m. to about 3 a.m. in the morning. The next day. It's the next day where we're going to be going from 12 o'clock. I, no, it's actually 1 o'clock to about 8 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. $10 a ticket. That's nothing. We're also going to have Mr. Jacob Mayfield out there. Mm-hmm. Mr. Jacob uh, Mayfield, mind reader. He's also a tarot card reader. He's going to be out there. That is a separate cost. Uh, but he is very well known in the Chicagoland area. So go on out, come on out to the Roth House and come join us this October. Yeah, we'll I mean, do our, yeah. Don't forget yeah. the best part. Hmm. We'll be there. Duh! I don't <laughs> give that away. You know, yeah, I mean, if that. you guys want to come out and meet us, we'd be happy to see you. Um, yeah, you know, it's and a we're great gonna be place out to there. Yeah, we're going to be out there for that one as well. So uh, join us this October. We got a lot on our plate. Uh, so we're going to make sure that uh, each and every one of you has a good experience. That's our that's our goal. Make sure that you are going to have the best experience that Graveside Paranormal can give you and the Paranormal guys. That's right. So with that being said, let's show some uh, things that we're also going to be doing, Steve. Uh, we got Fringe Fest. Well, all right. Well, here we'll go to the Paranormal Guys podcast right here. The Haunted Rock Island YMCA on October 7th. We are going to be out there. Uh, from 10 a.m. to about 6 p.m. There's many other groups that are going to be out there. Um, this sounds very interesting. Uh, sponsored by Paraflix, whatever uh, Studio Six Productions, WLTK, uh, DB Radio Station looks like Unturned Pages and Ocean Eye Crystals. These are all sponsors of this event that we're going to be at. We're going to be out there as a vendor, just promoting ourselves and the podcast that you're listening to right now. Uh, Another one, we are going to be out with Pat and Rebecca uh, at the Elgin Fringe Fest. on Actually, uh, I believe it's the 9th that we're going to be out there, September 9th. And we're going to be out there around 7.30. We're going to be doing a live podcast with Ghostly Podcast. Pat and Rebecca are our friends. Mm -hmm. And I've been to the Elgin. We're going to be going into the Elgin Public House. This is a very nice place. It's an older place. Supposedly, it's haunted. Is, a, uh, is that the pub? Yeah, that's the pub that we've been to, you know, where we had like that chili. That's amazing. Oh, that was good food. Good food. And this is like an all-day event from like the 1st all the way up to the 10th. So this is a whole 10 days of different events that are going on for people. So come join us. Uh, we're going to be out there on the 9th. Uh, come join us with Ghostly Podcast out there. Um, what's another thing we got going on? We got anything else, Steve? I know we got a lot on our plate that's, going on. That's quite a bit. That's too much. But I you mean, want we to have one more thing. Yeah, oh, we'll do it. 
but I don't know. Can we handle one more thing? Oh, we can always handle one more thing. It'll probably drive you nuts. That I put something on our plate, but it's fun. Um, we got a, a really cool October coming, so get ready. So come on out. I hope every one of you wants to enjoy it with us. That'll be a great time. So moving on to the news, weird news. Uh, this uh, Steve, roll the weird news thing, and we're going to come right out with this uh, subject matter. Let's do the news. Do the news. All right, the paranormal guys, weird news report. Now, this news here is actually a throwback to the 1920. Okay. 1920. I came across this story, Steve. This story here, I never even heard this story before, but this story here is completely nuts. And I mean, oh my God. Let me start it off. In 1920, Charlie, Charlie McCarthy became famous in one of the first shows by introducing Edgar, a puppet, a ventriloquist puppet with quite a different characteristics from a normal one. It represented an eight-year-old boy. His complexion, he was plump, and his facial features were very expressive and somewhat chilly. And even though his eyes were made of wood, it could reflect a look of sadness or even evil. Still, what made McCarthy grow and turn him into a master was the ability to change his voice in an extremely different way and without showing any facial movement when interpreting Edgar's voice. This is what caught the attention of many people who followed him through his tours. However, not all people thought the same back then. There were many who were suspicious and started rumors of McCarthy being an apprentice of witchery or the devil. Since they believed that he used some evil trick to make the puppet speak, this rumor spread so fast that people began banning children from attending his performances. People started talking even more about the topic when it was found out that McCarthy had a strange fascination with the puppet. He used to take care of him as if it was his own son and didn't allow the public or the work staff to get close to Edgar the puppet. He was the only one who could touch and keep him inside this box. At the end of his career, ended one night while McCarthy was touring in the United States. When the show was over, he went to the dressing room and locked himself for hours. The theater workers realized that he was still inside the place, so they knocked on the door, but McCarthy did not answer. After countless rumors that ran over the star, it was expected that the family expected that the employees feared coming into the room. They decided to call the police, thinking the worst. Then they arrived and forced the dressing room door open. They found something that left them totally in shock. McCarthy was lying on the ground, lifeless, his neck completely destroyed and soaked in red blood. Not that there's any other color of blood. <laughs> After reacting to the terrible scene, the authorities focused on finding Edgar. They thought some individual had entered the dressing room in order to take McCarthy's life and steal the puppet Edgar. But when they found the box and opened it, the puppet was there with a penetrating and chilling gaze that even the officers themselves feared to grab him. But it was necessary to, since they had to carry out the investigation to discover who had caused the horrible tragedy of Charlie. While analyzing the puppet, they discovered something even more terrifying, ladies and gentlemen. The investigation of McCarthy's death 
was interrupted when they found out that Edgar was not actually a puppet, but actually the body of a child. Steve, this is creepy upon creepy. Show up that picture one more time. I know we were holding it there, but I want you to realize that was a latex mask that was on that little boy there, about eight years old, maybe seven to nine years of age. And when they found that puppet, they took off the mask and they found a white, pale little boy underneath the mask. And what they did was they also found that on the hands had fingerprints. They were not able ever to identify this child. And they were never able to question Charlie because guess what? He's dead. He there did. was no other answers, but this, oh my God, Steve. When I when I heard about this, I said, I got to talk about this. This is nuts. It's what if it was always a different little dead boy? Ooh, man, you bring up something interesting. What if Maybe, he was going from town to town? Yeah. And then he would just like put the latest one in. Put the newest one in. Yeah, and if it was dead, you know, actually you kind of make a point because after a while it's going to smell. Well, yeah, I mean. Like, Not that I've killed anybody, but I just, I, you know. No, I but was the, was it petrified? Did he like. I don't know. Um, Some kind of embalming? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like resin around it. You know, know they do that. You ever go to that uh, Museum of Science and industry and they have the bodies that are like in oh, epoxy yeah like, that's creepy so what happened was after that i decided to get my own little puppet steve let's show that <laughs> yep <laughs> it's, actually an AI. it's actually an ai uh it doesn't really even look like me that no uh, it looks like uh similar like you but the puppet definitely looks like me it, it's like when you walk through a field and you smell like something a horse left on the ground yeah, but uh, that expression on your face now uh, is that a little dead boy in in that dolly you're holding? I don't know. Maybe you know <laughs> those are one of those nice AI pictures that Steve uh, likes to create. So, but it always you know, puts you in a cemetery. I don't know why. I don't know why. It always puts me in a cemetery. I don't know why. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I so, like that picture. Yeah, I liked it too. I it just didn't look like me, but I love the doll. I you it know, doesn't I look like you. I can get that doll. I should see if someone can make that doll. Yeah. Please, Bill, if you if you were a good creator out there, I'll pay you the money to do it. Can you make that doll for me? I mean, that would be an awesome doll to have, Steve. Yeah, I'm, Put I'm working. Yeah, yeah, I'm Actually, working on can, the AI. Maybe I can get Michelle to make that. Maybe that Michelle. Awesome. Yeah, Michelle can make that for us. I bet you she could make that. I bet you um, Michelle could make that for us. And she could probably imbue it with uh, the spirit of something. Oh, let's not get too far. Let's not get. Too I'm far. just saying. Well, that's my news. It's a very interesting news. I, I just when I came across it, man, I had to talk about this. That wasn't news. That was a that was a creepy story, uh, haunted story. I like it. That's a campfire story. Man, I was like, damn, that's a man. It gave me the creeps when I read about that. I never even heard that before until the other day. All right, Steve, what do you got for us? They ever find the killer? No, no, they never found a killer. They didn't, didn't find the identity of the child, the puppet. Or why it happened, because uh, Charlie's dead. But no matter what, there was a knife inside the room, and all that was inside this room was the puppet and Charlie. Weird. Hmm. That's weird. That's the why puppet did it. Here. I know it. The puppet did it. Yep. All right. So here's, here's my news. Um, nowhere near the quality of that, but 
still a little interesting. Okay. Neil, would you pay $450 to have a picnic where you're dangling 295 feet over a thundering waterfall? Oh, hell no. <laughs> you, you, dude, I have to pay you $450 to dangle me. You should be paying me. <laughs> well, a Brazilian adventure firm is offering Thrill Seekers a unique opportunity to enjoy a picnic at a wooden table suspended above the thundering Cascata da Sepultura. I know I'm not pronouncing that right. In the state of Rio Grande do Sul. The breathtaking experience recently went viral thanks to a short clip posted by an American couple who found it while looking for special things to do in Brazil. In the video, Christina, Christiana, sorry, Christiana Hurt and her rapper boyfriend on point up. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> can, can be seen casually enjoying some snacks and a glass of red wine at a picnic table suspended on a bunch of metal wires high above the Cascada da Sapotra. <laughs> the whole experience apparently lasts only 15 minutes and costs $450. Um, there's some other things you could probably do the last 15 minutes and cost only $450. Yeah, that, we're, we're not going to get into that. They well, might be just as dangerous. As just as dangerous. Over, especially if you're in a foreign country. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, saying that, they're only getting snacks and some and, red wine. And red wine. If I'm paying $450, my man, you're going to be at least putting a Subway sandwich in there. Something. Because there's no way I'm going to go sit there and have some carrots and some cheese and celery and some red wine. You're out of your mind. And they're like all relaxed about it. Yeah, bullshit. I mean, <laughs> those people are there. That girl, I can guarantee, is scared as heck. He's scared as hell because that's not that's not normal. That's, no. I wouldn't do that. I No, not me. For $450, I can find better things to spend $450 for 15 minutes, you know? So if they gave you $450, would you do it? No, no, I'm not going out. I, I have a I do have a fear of heights. I do mm -hmm. have a fear of heights. I've done things to get over my fear. Like I've jumped off uh that uh thing at um Las Vegas, that big steeple. I've oh, you bungee jumped? Yeah, bungee? I bungee jumped off that damn thing. Oh wow. Um and scared the heck out of me. But I did it, man. I did it because I had to try to fear it, but I mean get rid of the fear, but you never get rid of fear of heights. You can you do it all day long and you still have the fear. But you ever uh, go to the um I guess they call it Willis Tower now, but it's always going to be the Sears Tower to me. Yeah, where they do that little uh, dip did, or whatever. Did you ever that. see that? Where you walk out yeah, and then it's like glass? Yeah. All right. Well, that's an interesting story, but $450, my man, I'm not giving you $450 for that experience. Oh, hell no. I'd rather go to a carnival where they go with uh, one of those little boats that go up and down. Uh, man, I ain't doing that. <laughs> All right. Well, Steve, thank you very much for your news. And ladies and gentlemen, next, Mr. Don Schmidt. Once again, I can't say anything more about this interview, and I hope to have Don Schmidt in our uh, further uh, investigation. We uh, have stories. to do part two, and oh, yeah. um, and because this this episode it went deep, it went in a really cool direction, but it also opened up like I don't want to call it a sequel, but there's room for part two. There's oh so yeah. many. Don has so much information. Uh, he's a great person to talk to. Very entertaining. You guys are going to love this. And uh, hopefully we'll do part two. Oh, yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Next, 
Mr. Don Schmidt, as always. Boom. Boom. Oh, oh Neil. Oh. I wish I had just one more chance to go on your tour. Oh, oh hello. Well, guess what? You do this year. This October Halloween season, Graveside Paranormal is going to give you the best of the best. Come on out for our annual nightlife tour, which we are going to actually start off on Friday the 13th at 115 Bourbon Street every Friday and Saturday night in October. And guess what, boys and girls? You come out also, guess what? On Thursday nights, two Thursdays, October 19th and October 26th, we are going to be having a tour from the Branding Iron, the Pavilion. It'll be going out there. On the 19th, you're going to have special guest host, who is going to be Mr. Tony Sabowski. And on the 26th, which is another Thursday night, you're going to have Mr. Bob from Bob After Dark. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to once again get into St. James Cemetery at night for a nice little lantern tour. Most of you will be able to grab a little lantern and we're going to walk through the cemetery at night. So come on out this October and enjoy the great stories that Graveside Paranormal delivers. And as always, boom. Get tickets at tours.gravesideparanormal.com. Boo. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile, found sometime last week, has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Hello, everyone. This is Neil with the Paranormal Guys Podcast, and this is Steve, my co-host, Mr. Hello. Steven Lineweber. And guess what, boys and girls, children of all ages? We have Mr. Don Schmidt in here today. We are going to be talking about 1947. We're going to go into our uh, time machine, go our Wayback Machine, and we're going to go to July of 1947. We're going to talk about Roswell, New Mexico. Nice. This is such an interesting story. I know we deal with paranormal, but we deal with everything because we're the paranormal guys. We want to learn a little bit about everything. We want it's to all have connected. knowledge. What's that? It's all connected. It's all connected, man. I think. It's all connected. Yeah. But without any further ado, let me give the bio on Mr. Don Schmidt. I am so happy. This is making my day, dude. This yeah. is totally making our day. You know? All right. Author of many books on Roswell, Area 51, and many other books of conspiracies in the UFO community. Also an investigator and an awesome speaker. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this man will keep you in your seat for at least a good two hours. Speaker on the subject of Roswell, Area 51, Mr. Donald R. Schmidt is a former co-director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, where he served as director of special investigations for many years. Mr. Don Schmidt, come on in. Gentlemen, Don, pleasure. How pleasure are you today, you. sir? Good day. Happy to be with you. Uh, man, I'm happy to be with you. <laughs> wow. I'm so happy to be with you. Don, we're going to start off real quick. I want to ask you a question I usually ask everybody. How did you get into ufology? Um, <laughs> of all <laughs> segues, it was as a result of the Kennedy assassination. Mm. And I was a young boy that weekend of November 22nd, 1963. 
And I was home alone with my mother. My father was on a business trip that weekend. And so I was just captivated. I was glued to the TV for four solid days watching, you know, as far as the emotional roller coaster that the entire country was experiencing at that time. And then the investigation that followed with the, uh, the Warren report and the attacks, the labeling of it as being a whitewash and a cover-up and all the suspicions that came to the fore as a result. And it was just a few years later, I was out Christmas shopping with mom and dad and I was already an avid book reader. And with my younger brothers and other young people my age, you know, they would have their Christmas list. Well, my list was always book titles. Six years old already, I wanted books. Mm. And so there was a particular book that caught my eye, and there it was right on the cover, using those very words, whitewash, cover-up. And the book was entitled Flying Saucers, Serious Business by Frank Edwards. Mm. And there was one specific chapter that truly enthralled me, and that was entitled Who's Driving? So it got into all the occupant reports, that type of thing. So, But I was hooked. I could not get my next UFO book soon enough and it was like how can anyone ignore this story you're talking the biggest you know you know event of the millennium there's right. nothing that comes close to this and it would just you know, disappoint me to no end that I, I didn't matter what adults and by what education level i'd be speaking with it's like how can you not be captivated by just the possibility mm -hmm. and it was like that well, doesn't affect me why should I bother? Why should well, but <laughs> it's still the biggest story of the last thousand years. And I love history and I love the fact that as history goes, this would be almost at the top. And it I just um, it's it just I my enthusiasm for it has not waned at all because as I have become more and more directly involved, and at first as an investigative trainee with the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. And at that time, Dr. Jalen Hynek, the uh, former director or a scientific consultant at Project Blue Book with the Air Force, and then the founder for, for uh, the Center for UFO Studies in Chicago, that he came across some of my case reports and he invited me to his home in Evanston. Hmm. And how would you like to start working for me? And I would eventually become one of his special investigators. And it was like, whoa, I mean, I was catapulted to working for the number one scientist in the entire UFO field at that time. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't have had a better mentor, better teacher, a better friend. Uh, gentlemen, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think to myself, what would Alan say? What would Alan do? Mm -hmm. Alan Heinrich. And, and, and so... Um, I, again, I couldn't have started with a better foundation. Good, good, good. You know, uh, Don, you have like the energy of a 25-year-old man, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I remember being this energetic. That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got to take, take my uh, energy drinks and stuff like that. But damn. Don, but it's great. Uh, and it's you know what? I don't even drink coffee. I don't even drink coffee. So I, uh, it's That's love great. of life. Love yeah. of life. That's I mean, life. If someone talked to you on the phone, they would talk. They would be thinking that they're talking to a twenty-five-year-old man. I'll tell <laughs> well, you that. But a I'll wise one. <laughs> I'll be honest with you too. My dad lived to be eighty-nine, mm -hmm. and what was wonderful about him was his memory, his mind never, you know, wavered at all. I mean, mm -hmm. to the very day before he died, he still was as sharp as a tack, and his voice, 
you would let you, you could talk to him over the phone and you would swear you were talking to a 40 year old man even at right. that age so uh good genes good genes yeah. as well <laughs> but it's also uh helps to be passionate like you are about the subject and uh like you say a lot more people should be this is an age-old question that it touches on are we alone um and even if even if it doesn't answer that even if it's not about that at all even if it's about a cover-up of some other kind um we we do want to know who's in the driver's seat we do want to know um <laughs> why we don't know certain things and why the government might try to hide something from us Right. Well, precisely, and and why if we if we cite the example of the last time that former President Bill Clinton was on the Jimmy Kimmel show, and mm -hmm. this is all he talked about, and the president went on and on, and then he lamented the fact that you know I had eight years in the Oval Office and I couldn't get the truth about Roswell. Yeah. Well, the point being, so there is a truth, a truth even above the president. There's a there there. And it's just being part of that chase, right. you know, that elusive phantom that always seems to, you know, stay at one step ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And as I've often said, too, I don't I, I really have never concerned myself with who inevitably solves the mystery mm -hmm. as opposed to I just want to be I want to remain in the race. I want to mm -hmm. be at the finish line when whatever the end result whether we're talking about something extraterrestrial, whether we're talking something interdimensional, time travel, what have you, it nonetheless will still go down as one of the greatest mysteries of all time. That you were and there. What an adventure. Yeah, what an adventure. Yeah, nice, nice. That's awesome. We, we're actually like that with the, the paranormal community. Uh, we, we like to find out why certain things go on. But just like uh, the ufology community, uh, the paranormal is they go hand in hand, actually. Because yes, there's yes. things that uh, people believe that uh, when they see certain things might actually be alien presence. So I couldn't agree more. I yeah. couldn't agree more. In fact, we've very often explored how this the, the, the different aspects of the phenomena tend to overlap. Mm -hmm. And for, for years, we've, we've known that people who tend to be more psychically inclined, for example, more intuitive. They they tend to have UFO experiences. Right. Uh, there are people that typically, as a, a juxtaposed to someone always looking for loose change on the ground, they're peering up into the stars and you know just letting their mind wander, just you know, daydreaming and just uh, you know accepting the possibility that my God, just look at the expanse of you know the universe and what else may be out there. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's as though it's, a, it's this beacon that just constantly is drawing us into the unknown. And it's only unknown because we still have the naysayers. We still have the scoffers. We still have the debunkers who say, if I don't have all the answers, then they don't exist. Right. It's like the late Carl Sagan. He would always, you know, kind of he would downplay the UFO phenomena and suggest that, well, well certainly if, if an intelligence off the planet were visiting planet Earth, they would visit me first. Well, to talk about just the ultimate arrogance, but yeah, that, that's part of their shtick. The yeah. idea that if we don't have the answers, then they don't exist. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's amazing subject. Everything they all kind of correlate together from the paranormal to ufology. It's just an amazing thing. Like your friend Sam Maranto, our friend Sam Maranto. Mm -hmm. Awesome man, awesome. Love yeah. talking to the guy. Had him on our show uh, many times, mm -hmm. and. When you listen to a lot of these people's stories, 
like um, Betty and uh, Barney Hill. Let's talk about Betty and Barney Hill for a second. Amazing sure. stories. They're seeing things that uh, they can't really make out at first. In our community, there's a thing called shadow people. Yes. Okay, that people see that these dark shadows of people. Could these be actually aliens? They're coming in and out through an interdimensional type thing. Like a bleed over? Maybe some kind of bleed over. Bleed over type or could it, or is it, or is it something paranormal supernatural? I don't know. I have no problem accepting as far as that possibility. In, in fact, Dr. Heineck, again, used to suggest that if we would have one or two good UFO sightings globally per year, it mm -hmm. would be much, much more suggestive of something traversing these vast distances between point A and point B. The fact that we have UFO experiences and sightings and psychic phenomena going on on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. it's something that is here. It's something that is within our midst, and it's able to materialize. It's able to transform and appear mm -hmm. in one location and then slip into another location we don't know where it goes, whether it is another dimension or a porthole or whatever one might speculate. But nonetheless, it doesn't make it any less alien. It doesn't make it any less foreign in that regard. Mm -hmm. And it's just that when it does slip into our third dimension, it does materialize. It does interact with the environment. It yes. does keep remnants. I mean, in the case of Roswell, where it left crash debris. It's just as physical in our dimension as it would be in their own but nonetheless it's able to traverse as far as uh slip in you know at will and i think it's one of the reasons when we pose the question like why do ufos have all these lights why are they lit up like christmas trees at times why mm -hmm. are they every conceivable shape under the sun why are the occupants described like everything from little grays to the michelin tire man to uh robotoid to nordic to uh, eight foot tall, you know, on and on and on, based on even the cultures that, that would describe them. So there's no rhyme or reason. There's very little pattern to the phenomena, also suggesting that it's it's not of a controlled nature, that it, it takes on an appearance, almost like you mentioned by the shadow people, that it's, again, by one's own perception. Right. What did you see? What did you experience? Well, it may be different for the next person or the next person and on and on and on. Exactly. So, so the phenomenon it, might be psychic in nature and you're saying our uh, culture and our psyche and our belief system might then translate it for us. And I also but believe you, that it has something to do with environmental. It's definitely yes. has something to do with environment. But you know what frightens me or at least concerns me about that possibility is, especially if we are dealing with something interdimensional, mm -hmm. how do we ever get a handle on that? How are we able to ever establish? I mean, we may, with Roswell, we can establish the physical reality. But beyond that, we can't, you know, bridge that quantum leap between the technology. It's so advanced that, as we've been hearing for decades, that there's a large faction at the Pentagon that truly believes that this is something supernatural. Right. It's almost like... The, the, the famous scientist Arthur C. Clarke that suggested that when we were to have our first encounter with an alien life form, that it would present itself magically, that it would be like magic, that it would be something that, my God, how did they do that? 
How could, mm -hmm. You can't explain it. That's the wonderful thing about magic, in that uh, you don't want to know how they did, how you know how they made, just did, you know, that disappearance or whatever the, the case may be. But as you you both know, as far as even psychically, that magic has a tremendous overlapping in the fact that it is relying more and more on mind reading and and, and as far as anticipation of what to expect here, and then something over here happens totally unexpected. Right. And that's the UFO phenomenon. Mm -hmm. There is no rhyme or reason. And that's where do we have to finally accept the fact that we're dealing with something beyond our comprehension, that we will never find the on button, that we mm -hmm. will never actually be able to you know, get in the driver's seat, you know, and like Will Smith in Independence Day and, and pilot that craft like he's done it a hundred times before. That right. um, the chase will just be ongoing. The uh, the 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 mystery will just be you know perpetual in in, in motion. It will never change in that regard. And I'm, right. I'm personally willing to accept that. I really am. Cool. So let's take us into uh, the Roswell incident, uh, Don. It was 1947. We were just exiting World War II. The atomic bomb was dropped. Um, and also in 1936-37, we had Orson Welles doing War of the Worlds, Correct. which scared the hell out of everybody. Very fresh in their memories in 47, yes. Yeah. I mean, people were jumping out of buildings uh, in the 1936-37 thing from the Orson Welles. So once again, flipping to 1947, there was over 800 sightings that year. And correct me if I'm wrong on everything, okay? Yes. It is over 800 or two 800 sightings of UFOs in that year of 1947. Am I correct on that? It was like an invasion that right. from uh, June 24th leading up to Roswell, you would have thought we were being invaded. I mean, the banner headlines on the major newspapers throughout the country at that time. And just the growing number of sighting reports and, and objects in formation originating in the North Pacific and then sweeping down to the Southwest and then continuing throughout the rest of the country. Uh, the uh, failed attempts by pilots who would be scrambled in their P-51 Mustangs with the hope of even bringing one down. And then beyond that, pictures of them mounting 35 millimeter camera on the front of their aircraft with the hope of at least getting something on film. So there was a level of desperation, a level of panic, and the public outcry as to whose aircraft are we dealing with. But what's interesting, gentlemen, is that there were newspaper polls at that time. The skeptics would have us believe that the people were immediately believing that we were dealing with the technology off the planet. That is not true at all. According to the newspaper polls during that time, it was only 2% of the American population that even considered that this new phenomenon was from off the planet, that it was interplanetary. Mm -hmm. And so we were so we were totally convinced, especially after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that we were dealing with a continuation on that technology, that theme, that it was maybe atomic propulsion, that the uh, Army Air Corps had somehow managed to create a, uh, an atomic reactor propulsion within a plane, and they were covering it up. It was something that uh, they didn't want the Russians to know about. It was the beginning of the Cold War, and so people resigned themselves to accept, hey, um, we have a lot of secrets. 
Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they're not ours. Right. Now, one of the things is, uh, do you know, was there ever a study on this? In 1947, majority of the time when a lot of these uh, UFOs were seen or flying discs that they were called back in the day, was there always storms around that time? No, no, no. Wasn't every time? No, no. In fact, that was one of the the more uh, telling uh, situations regarding Roswell, the fact that the ranchers described, and, and because it'd be during the monsoon season in July mm-hmm. and August, the Southwest, where they would get those torrential rains and that these big storms would develop from the uh, summer heat and then the, the cooling of the, 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 Cap- the Southern Capitan, the Southern tip of the Rocky Mountains. And so it would create that overriding of the two air masses and build up these tremendous thunderstorms. And the ranchers would describe that between the thunderclaps, they heard what sounded like an explosion. Right. The next morning, the ranch foreman, W.W. Brazel, discovering all that debris, for example. So it was unique to Roswell at that time. And so I know it's often suggested there is a connection, but uh, it, it, it really stands strictly with Roswell. Okay, because I was curious about that because uh, I didn't have knowledge on that of knowing if a lot because it's a lot of sightings. It, 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 someone's trying to get our attention. That's a fact. And yes, yes. so, so it, I, I was wondering if there was always thunderstorms at the time of incidents like that because, no, like yourself, no. I investigate things and so I ask questions on certain mm-hmm. things. Well, that question, uh, I will, also, I will, like, um, I will admit that UFOs have demonstrated a longstanding um, interest in power lines and utility facilities, substations, um, even bodies of water. Mm-hmm. And the question in uh, accepting that the propulsion is electromagnetic, that it draws power right out of the very atmosphere. And right. as a result, there have been cases like in California, like the Jim Pecka case, where the craft was, was observed with electricity arcing from the power lines into the craft and then a subsequent power outage throughout the community. That is very common. Right. right. And so um, I could have, then I, if you want to take it a step further, I suppose it could be then surmised that there may be an attraction to a, a thunderstorm, just the amount of electricity in the air mm-hmm. of a storm. But I think it's because most people take cover. They're, with it, they're indoors, and so mm-hmm. you just don't have a lot of sightings during storms where ufos may indeed be present i guess it's easily to uh, explain away in that regard right so we're going to take uh take our time on uh i, I want to go through these things uh for it was july 3rd at least that's the date that i'm getting when a mr uh, jimmy ragsdale and trudy true love mm-hmm. they came across the original uh, crash site that went into a mountain or a hill Right. And they're the original ones who originally saw the bodies. And how many bodies were there originally? Well, we were the first ones to investigate the Ragsdale account. In fact, I was the first one to interview him extensively. At the time, he was in failing health. And I found his story to be uh, consistent at the time. Unfortunately, with third-party interference, specifically with an estranged daughter, the story became very convoluted. And it, and it changed, and they even changed the location. And as a result, because of that interference, we've had to pretty much disregard that, the Ragsdale story. 
that's that's what I'm getting from my research into these uh, into this story is that there's a lot of people out in the community who are disregarding this information like they don't put it even in Roswell of some of the stories right. Right. because right. they want to deal with the rancher more. Though we can document, we can demonstrate that there was an archaeological team from Western Texas Tech under the directorship of Professor William Curry Holden, who we interviewed before he died, and they were the ones who discovered the craft and the bodies mm -hmm. just 35 miles north of Roswell. It had always intrigued us why both the sheriff's department in Roswell as well as the fire department would have traveled, would have made any effort to go up into another county where the debris field, where the Brazil debris wreckage was discovered. Right. Uh, Roswell is within Chavez County. Mm -hmm. uh, the debris field, the Brazil uh, account is in Lincoln County. They would have had no jurisdiction up there. They would have had no business going up there. There was like so a 40 miles state. difference, correct? Right. And it constantly suggested something much closer to Roswell. And we have from the families of the sheriff, George Wilcox, we have from the family of the fire crew chief, Dan Dwyer, that they indeed did go just north of town. And they too observed the remains of the craft and the bodies. So you tie that in with the archaeologists and in the military accounts when they were describing, well, it was a 45-minute drive. We drove out, uh, you know, 45 minutes. We drove out a little, whereas the debris field would be three and a half to four hours. Big difference. Right. And so when we had, like, the likes of, of the counterintelligence, uh, not commissioned officer, uh, Master Sergeant Lewis Rickett, who told us when he and his boss, Captain Sheridan Cabot, the head of counterintelligence, drove out, it was about a 45-minute drive. We knew which location they went to. When we had others like Chester Barton, who was with the 603rd Air in, uh, in Transit Unit, we knew that they went to the site just north of town, just based on the duration, the time involved. So there was a great distinction between the two, which also helped. The one being a short drive and the other being three to four hours. Right. Big difference. That's where they came up with the, the idea, the theory of the two crash sites, correct? Well, there were multiple crash sites. Right, there yeah. was the debris field and there was a secondary body site two and a half to uh, east, southeast of the debris field. And then there was the uh, main impact site with the remains of the craft, uh, the pod, the capsule. It, it was egg-shaped, about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Mm -hmm. And that was 35 miles north of Roswell with the two additional bodies and from both civilian and military. And we're talking the sheriff as well as the fire department. There was a survivor, oh. one survivor. Okay. Steve, wow. do you have a question? Um, yeah, I'm just like uh, thinking about a few things, uh, but now with the survivor. Um, now, so many questions about what you do with bodies, right? If they're dead, you take them and you probably dissect them or do autopsy, right? We've all seen footage, I'm sure, of the alien autopsy. 
right. um, from Roswell. Well, but, the alien, uh, the alien video hoax, yes. Yes, the hoax <laughs> video. Um, a, a species that uh, maybe came from another planet, right? Because I also think it's possible that they're from here too. You know, um, that they may not be extraterrestrial. They might be uh, maybe more advanced. Us. And yeah, maybe, maybe us in the future. <laughs> yeah, us in the future, or a species that is uh, um, more advanced, and uh, maybe somewhere else. You know, they have the whole Antarctica uh, theory that there's things living uh, in caverns or somewhere at the hollow Earth type of theory. There's a mm -hmm. lot of rabbit holes to dive down. Um, if this thing was otherworldly, uh, if and it survived for a moment during the crash. It might be like a fish out of water, and it may not uh, have had much to offer us other than uh, doing an autopsy. <laughs> you know, um, did they keep this thing alive? I mean, like that's what I'm wondering. Like, um, we had so many advancements happen since 1947 to now, and almost like exponential rate. If you look at the things that we can do with AI and where that's going to take us in next decades, it says, where did all this come from so quickly? We got down a fast track um, yes. from the nuclear bomb to now. Everything's just accelerated. Um, so I'm just wondering uh, if they captured a body, were they able to keep it alive? Were, and if they did, even if the bodies were dead, um, wouldn't their species, their society, their civilization want those bodies back? Um, ah, good questions. Like, yeah, and wouldn't there be some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know if they were... Rescue attempt. Yeah, rescue, rescue attempt, yeah. or, you know, you know, it's like, let's go and get them. What, right? do, what I think uh, Steve's also saying is, is was there, uh, what do we know about the bodies afterwards? What do we know about the bodies afterwards other than the hoax that we were shown, right? Yeah, Which I think hope. is a diversion. I think uh, it, it was meant to be found a hoax, you know. All the eyewitnesses, whether military or civilian, describe the bodies identically down to even the color of their one-piece uniform to mm -hmm. the number of fingers to the height, the texture of the skin, identically. The slightest deviation based on what time of day and even by the rate of decomposition. One of the concerns was the bodies, and especially those exposed to the elements out in that hot desert, uh, July of 1947, the, the rapid decomposition. And even uh, the suggestion that even predators were already involved. Okay. Asi aside from that, we have a firsthand military describing the survivor at the very impact site. And then the transportation. We can, I can even tell you who drove the army ambulance. He was called, uh, they called him Tiny because he was all of six foot six. And um, even the gate he came in, they came in through the south gate to bypass the front gate and the base proper where they were able to go directly to the hangar, which was called P3, it was a B-29 hangar, which today is called Building 84. And the base was under lockdown, so people were essentially told to not uh, leave their quarters, to stay put, and even around Hangar P3, lethal force was authorized. In fact, we just spoke to another son 
whose father was stationed there back in 47 and how they were handed grease guns as they called them which were submachine guns mm -hmm. and with the orders anybody got it would get within 200 feet without authorization they were to they were to shoot to kill so wow, that's so that's much for you know you know uh, <laughs> as far as security around a weather balloon i'm sorry right you know the facts <laughs> don't wash the, no. don't coincide and right. so then we have first-hand witnesses at the hangar regarding the bodies and the survivor and then we have at the base hospital we also have firsthand the bodies as well as the survivor well from all eyewitness accounts and even from the press at that time though they were not privy to the bodies involved as much as they did try to get answers mm -hmm. regarding the occupants regarding the rumored you know little men because that was the term that they were using back then that witnesses were describing the little men or the small bodies they weren't calling them spacemen or ets or aliens no they kept talking about the little men and so we know that everything initially from roswell was transferred to wright field in dayton ohio which would become wright patterson air force base right predecessor right. to area 51. 51 wouldn't come into existence for eight more years right, right. Okay. so it was right pat and so we have, for example, the testimony of the late Colonel Marion Magruder, who was a triple ace from World War II. His nickname was Black Mac. He confided independently to his five sons that being a member of the War College, class of 4748, that they were on assignment to Wright Pat in April of 48, which we can document, we have the documents that they were assigned to write Pat in April 48. Now it doesn't specify the details of their assignment, but we can put them there. Mm -hmm. But according to what he confessed to his sons before he died, that they were shown the wreckage from Roswell, they were allowed to handle it, each uh, personally, and they were then taken to another room the lights came on, and then within a glass enclosure, there the survivor was sitting. Mm -hmm. And he described how his heart just went out to this being because he saw that we were treating it like nothing more than a guinea pig. That, you know, you could see that it, it wasn't, it was essentially imprisoned. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we had a unique specimen, and we were conducting every laboratory test imaginable at that time his sons would then ask him well what became of the survivor and he would then you know recount that they were told months thereafter that it died within weeks after their having actually viewed the survivor mm -hmm. okay so your other question about an attempted rescue right i mentioned Master Sergeant Lewis Rickett, who was with counterintelligence. Well, Rickett was assigned. We interviewed him numerous times in person down in, in Seminole, Florida. And he was assigned to assist Dr. Lincoln La Paz, the famous meteor expert. He had been briefed in Washington. La Paz had been part of the Manhattan Project. 
He had investigated the Japanese Fuka balloon, the uh, the uh, Japanese balloon bombs that uh, Imperial Japan had launched over the Pacific, and some made it as far east as Ohio in the last months of World War II. And then his assignment regarding Roswell was to determine the speed and trajectory of this balloon. <laughs> speed and right, trajectory. Right, right. Right, right. Right. And so Rickett would spend three weeks working in the field with him. And according to Rickett, in interviewing all the ranchers up in that surrounding area, one after the other described that for days and weeks thereafter, they were observing glowing objects hovering over that general vicinity and projecting beams of light down to the open range as though looking for something. Well, there were no helicopters at Roswell at that time. There were no helicopters in the area. They didn't hear any engine noises. Mm -hmm. They described, you know, unknown orbs of light that appeared to be searching for something. And so it's easy, easy to then surmise that it was, there was an attempted rescue, that they were looking for one of their own. Right. Because it was never determined who and what these objects, you know, represented. So I'm so that, that, that kind of yeah. leads you to believe that kind of leads you to believe there is a caring for each other. Yes. If you're looking for something, see, like in a lot of uh, testimonies from people, they talk about when they uh, get abducted and this and that. It's more like an intelligent kind of thing. Like there's mm -hmm. no emotion involved, almost like a Spock type right. of uh, mentality, right? No empathy, no nothing. They do these um, uh, these little experiments on people, but in this case, as like you're speaking right now is that something or someone of alien force is out there looking for its people, it has empathy, you know? And that's a, it's a, it's a major curiosity, isn't it? Yeah. The idea that they, these, they, they, these, uh, these crash victims weren't treated as expendable, as just, you know, just uh, a mission that had gone awry and it was their fate and they, accepted it and there was nothing more to be gleaned by it um unless it was a, a a case of well we needed to retrieve the hard evidence before mm -hmm. it would fall into right maybe the concern was that it would fall into even the soviet hands at that time right uh, roswell was rife with soviet spies back in 47 especially after the bomb mm -hmm. and it, they weren't typically russian because they would have stood out easily. So they typically were uh, of Mexican background that would be slipped across the border and they would take on all types of menial jobs throughout New Mexico and then report across the border to uh, the Russian spies. Right, that okay. That went on for years. So maybe it has something, but again, anytime we try to speculate, we try to think alien, I think we make a mistake. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me ask you this question. Now, a majority, I would say, of America or the whole world knows about the Roswell incident. Yes. As we get to Mac Brazil, he finds it on his grounds, on his farm. Majority of everybody knows that he was with his son, and he finds it, and they come across the materials, and the materials, when they crush it, it takes form. But I have a question for you, and we, we understand all about the controversy and the conspiracies that follow after this. But I have a question is... Why? Why would 
this crash happen? Mm -hmm. How and why? Mm -hmm. Is there something that more was more intelligent that was going on in the background? Because think about it. We had over 800 sightings in 1947 mm -hmm. alone. So is somebody trying to get our attention? And if nobody else wants to give attention to me, you want to know what? I'm going to give attention to them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be like a Trojan horse from Greece. Right. And I'm going to go ahead and crash in there because I need to make communication. Maybe there's something that we need to tell the people, these human beings, because in 1945, we just had the atomic bomb killing over 50,000 people. Is there a message that has to be uh, known? And should we go out there and attempt to give it to them? Because they ain't really coming to me. What do you think about that, Don? Well, as as theories go, and as even postulated by my scientific director, Dr. Mark Rodiger, who replaced Heineck at the Center for UFO Studies in Chicago, it would certainly soften the blow. You announce your arrival, not with your proverbial, you know, landing on the White House front lawn. And what would our typical response be? We would probably shoot first and, you know, you know, ask questions later. Right. And this and then and the fact that it happened out in the high desert, you know, of New Mexico, where it's hardly a threat to anyone, except mm -hmm. maybe the local prairie dogs and jackrabbits, that type of thing. And so that too may demonstrate the lack of uh, discernment and, and concern on the part of their recovery efforts, the fact that it was out there for days before it was even reported. So it was hardly any level of urgency to, uh, you know, make a, a recovery of the craft before we should, you know, locate it. So all, all wonderful theories. And I love the fact that when I'm with my colleagues, we can sit there that everything is free game, you know, put it on the table and let's see if the shoe fits. I think, too often skeptics they have, for example, they have a preconceived theory, and then they sit out to prove it. They cherry-pick details that uh, they're able to shoehorn and, and make fit. That's mm -hmm. not science. No. You go wherever the evidence takes you, and that's what we've done. I can't em emphasize enough that I was a total skeptic on Roswell yeah. when we first went down to New Mexico. We thought we'd wrap this up in a single weekend and mm -hmm. prove that this was indeed nothing but a weather balloon device and or something just as prosaic. And it's because the witnesses, true to form, they were the last ones who theorized, who speculated. As I had mentioned earlier, that when they would describe the bodies as little people, mm -hmm. small people, little men, that type of thing, they described what they observed. They didn't call it a spaceship. They just described the shape of the craft, that type of thing. They described the characteristics of the wreckage. I think a, a wonderful example is uh, a daughter of one of the adjoining ranches. Her name was Sally Tetralini. And it was Brazil's very son, Bill Jr., who drove up one day in his pickup truck. And in an attempt to obviously impress the young lady, he brought out this piece of metal. And she's watching as he is, you know, opening his hand and she's watching it flow like water over the palm of his hand, and then he crunches it right back up, and then back and forth, no matter how often he released its grip, this would unfurl, it would unravel. Mm -hmm. And her human response was, my God, 
wouldn't it be wonderful if clothes would be made of that material and I would never have to iron again? <laughs> it, but it creates a wonderful visual of what she had to be observing to have that impression. And so they were describing details in the most earthly, you know, of terms, because mm -hmm. this was unprecedented. First of all, there's nothing in the Army field manual, you know, crash flying saucer. Okay, this is what we do, A, B, no, no, no. And there's nothing in the, in the, in the novels, nothing in the entertainment, TV, radio at that time. Uh, you had Buck Rogers, you had Flash Gordon. What, 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 were, what were aliens flying back before Roswell, before the summer for you? They're flying rocket ships. Rockets, being the merciless. How did aliens look? They look like us. Mm -hmm. So, again, they describe to the best of their abilities what their perception, what their first, you know, thought processes were. And, and they were yeah. wonderful. And they weren't all meeting at a local bar where they all no. gathered before the fact and said, all right, everybody's going to be four feet two, gray skin, slitted eyes, and this and that. Right. Each and every one of them, after the fact, gave the description that went along with the other person's description. Precisely. And whether the most uh, high-ranking four-star general down to a seven-year-old boy, they all reacted the same way. They all reacted. I did a paper a number of years ago, gentlemen, entitled The Extraordinary Reaction to an Extraordinary Event. And I had a noted psychologist who came up to me and he went, Don, I was a total skeptic. And he said, I never saw it put that way before. Mm -hmm. it, 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 you demonstrated that, again, no matter what the training, what the experience, that these people all behave the same way, that this was something profound. It was unprecedented. And as a result, it suggested something beyond the pale, something extraordinary, something that all they could do to get a handle on it was just describe it as it took place. Right. Don, let me stop you there for a second. We have a segment. Steve, roll it. Get ready because it's time for Tales by the Graveside. Penelope, can you please explain to me why you believe this is your sister and why she's not at rest? Yes. Well, it was the summer of 1975, and Ophelia was in love with an older man named Leon. Leon was a very slender black gentleman, about 30 years old, and he used to come by our state at night and go for walks, long walks with Ophelia as our parents slept in their beds. On one of these walks at around 11 p.m. by the pond, I could hear her arguing. So I opened my bedroom window to see what was wrong. I saw Ophelia slapping and punching Leon as she cried. Leon slipped on one of the rocks by the pond and fell very, very hard. And he fell into the water and Ophelia jumped on him and grabbed him by his hand and held him underwater in all her rage. I left the house to stop everything from continuing. As I got to the pond, I saw Ophelia running and crying and running away. To my horror, 
I saw Leon's body motionless and his head submerged in the water and his throat was cut and blood was all in the water. I cried to Ophelia, I said, Ophelia, please stop running. But she continued and ran out on the road and got hit by a truck and she was instantly killed. That saddened me. Oh, so badly. Two people lost their souls that day, their lives. I believe through the tragedy my sister is lost, wandering from the cemetery to our estate, looking for Leon and possibly forgiveness. Neil, can you please help us? Well, Penelope, I will take on this task of trying to help you. You sound very true to what you're talking about, and I want to help you. And now, back to the Paranormal Guys podcast. Uh, back to uh, Mr. Don Schmidt. Uh, one other question I have is that, like I said before, we all know about majority of all the story. But one of the things I found so interesting is all the lies and this conspiracies that continued on and on. Like they originally started out with Project Mogul. And uh, if Project Mo if it was Project Mogul that fell to the earth in Roswell, New Mexico, where was the black box? Right, right. The rancher said that he, it's happened more than many times that he's got those weather balloons hit the ground. We 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 uh, confirmed that. We saw when we first arrived at the ranch house, there was an empty a water tank just brimming, just overflowing with balloons, weather balloons that they had recovered on the ranch through the decades. Mm -hmm. They were the last ones who were strangers to these balloon devices. Right. And specifically because they, they would typically be tagged that you return, you know, the uh, the instrument package or the and you get a five dollar reward. Back then that was, you know, a day's work. And so, yes, five dollars. And so, they were always on the out, uh, the lookout for these devices. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. And then, uh, then they had uh, the man high uh, thing. They came out years later, talking. Oh no, no, no! This is uh, it was Operation Man High that was in 1947. Heaven, even though it did not really start until 1955, I believe. 52. 52, I'm sorry. Yeah. So many years have gone by, at least a good uh, seven, five to seven years have gone five, by. Five to seven years. And, and so you now you want to tie another lie. You also tie it in as far as with Project High Dive and Project Excelsior. So this was, as we had a growing number of first-hand witnesses to the bodies, they had to ex you know, make an effort to explain away the fact that uh, balloons don't have pilots. And so right. then... Yeah. They, they came up with the anthropomorphic wooden crash dummies, these test dummies that were dropped from high altitude, six feet tall, wearing harnesses and jumpsuits and parachutes. And the, the key thing there, gentlemen, is that is we also determined by the very creator of the project that whenever they would impact with the ground, they would dismember. They would break up with limbs flying every which way. So mm -hmm. I'm sorry. And it's five years removed. So I'm so, you. You can't you can't time travel from fifty two back to forty seven. Maybe the government feels they can get away with that. Well, the government does. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to <laughs> suggest that the government can't revise history. They've never done that before. Right. <laughs> you know what? I think one of the main problems was, and I'm going to get to Steve because I know he has a question. Mm. Is it's because 
majority of people who wanted to learn about Roswell and talked about Roswell are people who had interest. Majority yes. of people that the government brought into it didn't want nothing to do with it. So they all came up with these crazy different scenarios mm -hmm. that they thought that everybody was stupid enough to just go, oh, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Well, one the, you question? well quickly, just let me respond to that for a moment. Uh, it, it's, it's a typical ploy on the part of the Pentagon. They bring in most often someone in the reserves, no longer connected, no longer having access, no longer having clearance, and they give them an assignment. We want you to research and come up with an alternative explanation for Roswell in 1947. So you have, in this case, Captain James McAndrew in the reserves, Air Force Reserves, and the wonderful thing that the media and most people really don't understand is that he becomes an authority on Project Mogul and nothing else. He can't slip. He can't mm -hmm. accidentally mess up, tell, you know, a lie about Project Mogul because it's all he knows. He's the authority. So he's at, he's at, at never a risk of stepping out of bounds, saying the wrong thing about Roswell because he doesn't know anything else. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's, it's ingenious on the part of the military, but that's what they have typically done for decades, and they get away with it. But we we challenge it, we question it, and uh, the the media, unfortunately, in most cases, are willing willing accomplices. They just go along with it because they want to stay attached. Bond right. paid for. Bond paid for. Bond well, it's paid kind of like exactly. exactly bond paid for. It's kind of like the uh, lying spouse, like the government. Mm -hmm. You know they're lying, right? You know they're gaslighting you, and they're. It, it wasn't a woman; it was a wooden dummy. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know. I know. But we know, and we all have a sense. We we know from what we've uh, seen and what's available out there to research uh, your research, your books, and so forth. Something's going on that isn't what we're being told. Well, something right. I always point out to the media that any time they should interview someone in the government. Mm -hmm. someone in the military they have to realize they're speaking to someone highly compartmentalized yeah that they only know what they have had access to and they're not going to volunteer anything else and as a result there too they can't speak out of line right the difference is in my case and like with uh, my partner thomas j carey and my former partner kevin d randall mm -hmm. we're not limited we're not restricted we have been able to come at this from every direction and mm -hmm. as a result, we are not under any restriction to speak about this. Right. And and if they ever want to stop us, it's too late. You know, that, that genie's been out of the bottle for a lot of years. So there's this thing in the UFOlogy um, world, right, of these men in black or the, mm -hmm. the people that visit you if you go MJ too far. 12, is that what that is? Men in black, MJ-12, right? And, no, no. All together, men in black. You these sinister oh, men in black. All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, these shadowy figures that will pay uh, <laughs> a visitation to someone who has seen something they, they shouldn't have seen, or they've experienced something they, they shouldn't have been there at that time. And there's even Air Force documents dating back to the 50s that they were after, that they were looking to locate these individuals because they were impersonating. Uh, Air Force officials mm -hmm. that they were uh, identifying themselves as uh, from this military facility or you know with this rank 
within the service and they weren't so they were in you know strict violation of uh military protocol in that regard um it it, it also borders on the paranormal mm-hmm. on, on the psychic in that so often they're very shadowy they're mm-hmm. very unearthly in some of the accounts they're almost that, cryptic like uh, cryptic like yeah very yeah that they will arrive totally unannounced and they will you know make they will present credentials of being an insurance agent or someone who would do a door-to-door type of uh you know visitation and typically dressed in black typically driving black cars people Mm -hmm. describe that the cars will be 25 30 years old and yet smell like they're right off the showroom Mm -hmm that their clothes look like they're right off the rack and that uh, they will become less and less animated and start slowing down and almost to the point like they're running out of gas. Mm-hmm. There are many such accounts where they, they seem to be slipping back into somewhere else. Okay. There we're talking again. Is there that crossover? Right. So if it be one lone account, okay, but there are hundreds of these stories of these men in black that will pay specifically UFO witnesses these visitations. Now, so So my my question, though, I'm sorry, um, go ahead, Steve. And and I'm curious because we are in the paranormal guys and we do focus on the paranormal a lot. um, And with your research into Roswell, I would imagine if there's any... uh, validity to the men in black story that um maybe they would have uh, visited uh the folks involved um the ranchers or any um you know anybody like showing off to a girlfriend a piece of metal you know um is there any um thing oh, yes. you've heard of? Okay. oh yes many uh-huh. accounts of suits mm-hmm. as hmm. far as uh, all around roswell within days after the incident could these all could types- these have- I'm sorry, go ahead, Don. No, but all types of accounts. One specifically I'll give you. Uh, it was radio reporter Frank Joyce from radio station KGFL. And he had spoken to the ranch foreman Brazo, and Brazo already had alluded to him the body site that he had seen bodies which were not human. Mm-hmm. And Brazo would, or, or excuse me, uh, Joyce would arrive at the radio station in one of the subsequent mornings for his radio broadcast and a car pulls up and there it's his boss walt whitmore senior tells him to get in the back seat they're going to go for a ride and in the back seat there's a suit sitting not saying a word just staring ahead and they take him out into the desert to a one-room shack and guess who then he's told to get out and wait in the shack and then who comes stepping into the building but the rancher brazo himself that he too was brought out there and brazo according to joyce asked him if he wouldn't say another word about this in other words they would both be in a lot of trouble if he kept pursuing the story so he wanted to hear from joyce that he was going to drop drop the story and then that brazo would make the comment as he would leave Mr. Joyce, you know our lives will never be the same after today. That type of thing. Wow. Okay. So, but 
who was that gentleman in the back seat? The suit just right. sitting there, as though uh, you know, taking control, taking charge of the, the situation, matching the and description we, of Men in Black, right? Matching the script, and, and according to Joyce, he it was the strangest looking person he had ever seen. What happens if it was actually the aliens? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna bring up something that just recently happened in the headlines recently. Okay. We have this young lady on this airplane. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. I, I saw that. Out, she's like, that person That's is not real. And I have to say, because I, I pay attention to people. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at her, and she's she saying, was terrified. She was, she was terrified. Yeah. yeah. She was she did not look like she was on drugs or on alcohol, any influence by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. And she's looking back there and she's like, that person is not real, blah, blah, blah. Right. She is completely frightened. What happens if that they are so incorporated in our world now, mm -hmm. which I truly do believe? Mm -hmm. I can't accept that. Yeah, that they infiltrated. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> that they are at the you know could, could be sitting right in Washington today, as far as we know. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so I have it, no problem it, with that because. Yeah. Go ahead. Again, we, if we ask, why are they here? It can't be just to nightly abduct people and take, you know, samples. After a few people, you realize we're all the same. We all bleed the same color. We all essentially have the same DNA. We're 99.9. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not the most interesting creatures in the universe. No. no. So there's got to be a game plan. There's got to be something long term. And that indeed may be part of it, that there's been this indoctrination, this infiltration. And... Um, you like you'll say you never know you walk down the sidewalk of any major city and who you may actually be confronting at any given moment may not be from here all right what exactly. function would we serve them like why would they be amongst us why would they even bother if we're that uninteresting or if we you go know? by uh, the twilight zone episode to serve man you know we could be in the cookbook right oh dear lord oh, yeah. oh, oh dear lord it's possible I mean, we look what we do. We treat the cattle pretty nice until, well, we, until we eat them. That's <laughs> right. You're absolutely right, Steve. You're absolutely right. <laughs> well, you know what, Don? I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I know that we were limited on time, and I appreciate the time that you've given us. And I hope somewhere in the future we can continue this conversation. We have to. we got to do part two. I agree. Oh, okay. Yes. Great. Yeah. If we can do that somewhere down the Hold line when you it. have time, Hold uh, we'll it. send you another email on this. This is Mr. Don Schmidt, great author. I'm, I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, great speaker and just a very nice guy. He got back to me right away after I sent him this email. I met him at San Maranto's second mm -hmm. uh, thing in uh, Star Rock. And him and his wife, just very, very nice people, very real people, mm -hmm. just like I'll everybody else. My wife. Thank you. Yeah. Just real people who just want answers like you and I. So, yeah. Mr. Don Schmidt, uh, do you have anything going on that you would like to put out to the people? We, uh, we just finished filming with uh, Unsolved Mysteries, mm -hmm. which uh, it will, will not air until January, but it's on Netflix. So it's a huge audience. It's way beyond Ancient Aliens with just okay. a few million viewers. This will be worldwide, 100 million people. Nice. And I'm uh, just finishing up a co-script on the, atomic, the history of the atomic bomb, and we're waiting on a TV series uh, out of London 
We've done, uh, we've finished eight scripts regarding that. And uh, I'm working with uh, former NASA engineer, Mark Chesney, and we're co-writing a book on J.L. and Hynek. So from our perspective of actually having worked with the, the man all those years. Nice. That is, man, you are one busy man, dude. I thought I was busy. Man. <laughs> when you so love that, what you do, when you love what you do, it comes easy. Thank you. Yeah, when I when I retire at the end of this year, I'm going to be doing a lot more of what I what I like to do. I I because I, I have a passion just like yourself, and I I'm going to yeah. tag along Steve with me. He has no other choice. Yeah, I can't <laughs> I can't escape this. <laughs> All right. So once again, that's Mr. Don Schmidt, and that's Steve Lineweber. Say goodbye, Steve. Bye, everybody. And <laughs> Thank you, Don. Boys and girls. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll do it again. Look forward yep. to it. Of course, and always, boys and girls, boo. <laughs> With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.